Hello, listeners, and welcome to In Trust. My name is Rick Kitagawa. And my name is Lisa Lombard. And thanks for joining us for the podcast about the greatest asset for leaders, organizations, and communities alike, trust. Today, we are pleased to bring you a conversation with Rebecca Channer, the founder and team lead at Codebreakers, a vibrant online space for youth and young adults who are members of historically underrepresented and or racially minoritized groups. With multiple CEO and executive director titles in the nonprofit and startup space under their belt, Rebecca leads a team of adult allies, co-conspirators, and accomplices known as the Codebreaker Bench that support the young people of the Codebreakers community. Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rick and Lisa. It's such a pleasure to be here with two people that I actually trust most in the world. So those are my favorite conversations to be a part of. Mine to ours too, and that means so much to us, Rebecca. Thank you. And Rebecca, for folks who are having the pleasure of meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit more about who you are and what you and the Codebreakers Bench do? Sure. Who I am, that is quite a question. And it's actually the the question that we ask every day in the work that we do at Codebreakers. So I am a white, able-bodied, queer, non-binary Immigrant from, or not, I'm not an immigrant, but I descend from immigrants from the Scottish and English. Uh, and I work on some territories that were previously owned by the indigenous Miwok, Coast Miwok. So I'm just north of San Francisco. And I am a fiercely committed human that is interested in making the world a more equitable place in whatever ways I can. Where I feel a sense of hope is working with young people. And so I have created Codebreakers with a bunch of fantastic other human beings to basically be in service to young people who are working through life's barriers, specifically young people who have perhaps like the intersections of many different identities, whether it's race or gender or sexuality, religion, socioeconomic, um, young people who are really up against more greater discrimination a lack of privilege, a lack of access to resources. So we are basically working with these young people to remind them and to be advocates for them that those parts of their identity can be understood and also become a source of strength for them. Amazing. I love all of that. Full disclosure, as a part of the Codebreakers bench myself, this obviously is a super meaningful conversation to me and the work that we're doing. But Rebecca, I would love if you could talk a little bit more about the name Codebreakers and why you chose it. Yes, absolutely. Codebreakers is really a tie to the term code switching. Code switching actually was originally a term coined by linguists to explain the act of uh, mixing languages while in conversation. But over the, I'd say, I guess, decades now, uh, a much broader meaning of the term has developed to include the idea of self-expression and cultural or sometimes racial contexts. It essentially indicates like a habit of changing the way you speak, dress, or engage with others so that you feel like you fit in. So you basically change or hide certain parts of your identity in order to feel like you fit in or belong better in the majority. And so there's like all kinds, if you Google, there's some great examples of this happening. There's a great one with Obama. There's been a bunch of SNL skits about code switching too. And there's an NPR podcast called Code Switch that hits on this too. 
And I'll tell you from my own experience, code breakers, like I, I built code breakers. I think we built code breakers because basically for like the 15, 16, 17 year old versions of ourselves, right? So I have been realizing myself where I've been code switching. And for me, that's been mostly around my gender and sexuality. In fact, it was just this week <laughs> that I feel like I like I've always understood that my gender is non-binary. So I don't exist like in a binary. Like I just feel very gender fluid. I feel genderless at times. I just feel like me and that that doesn't equal a gender. And so, but what I've noticed is that in this era now, thankfully, of us talking about gender and pronouns, that I have been posting my pronouns in different spaces, whether on Zoom or Slack or on LinkedIn, as she slash they. So I've been like, she, her, or they, them is fine. And what I realized just this week, really, as I was sort of testing for congruency with the work that we do, is that I have not been really honest, I think, about who I am in public. That in many ways, places where I feel comfortable presenting as a she, her, um, as a woman, when I feel like unsafe, or if I feel like I might have lesser access to opportunity, or that I might just feel like I don't fit in, that I can kind of kind of revert to switch to she, her. And what I'm realizing now is that, that that's not actually my truth, um, that I am kind of pronounceless, I suppose, in the big scheme of things, um, but that they, them ultimately is the closest to how I feel in my body. And so I went ahead and changed my pronouns in all the places. So here I'm at age 47, coming out a little bit more every day. But ultimately, that to me is my uh, personal experience around code switching. And of course, we see it happen all the time, especially in communities that have been racially minoritized. And it's something that, you know, what basically, I dream of a world where code switching is no longer necessary. So kind of our tagline on the website is, code switching is out, belonging is in. We want to build a future for young people that fits them versus asking them to fit the future, if that makes sense. It does. And I, I just want to thank you for the integrity that you bring into all your work and, and in that story and sharing that and that that moment as well. And I I love the name Codebreakers. I love the heart that you're getting at because I think it gets to a really important distinction between fitting in and belonging and creating that space to move towards true belonging. And this is something I've noticed across all your leadership. And Rick and I have both had the privilege of working with you and experiencing your leadership firsthand. And you have been consistently relentless in putting people, all people, first in your leadership. And I'd love to know from your, your past ventures like Prosper City to the work you're doing with Code Breakers, who and what has been most influential in your leadership? And why is putting people first so important to you? That's such a beautiful question and just like makes me think about things that I love to think about. One of those things is my mom. So my mom is not, not with us anymore, but here on, on earth anyway. But she, you know, really held that space for me, that unconditional love, that those days when, when I was being pressed into wearing a dress or trading in my tube socks for, um, <laughs> you know, for some lacy sweater, just that she was always, she was always had my back on these things. Like it was okay with her that I was, that I was showing up the way that I was choosing to show up. 
she was probably what felt to me like the only person in my life and in my family that held that space. But it's pretty meaningful if just one person holds that space for you and they happen to be a parent. So I feel super lucky to have those early, those formative years in my life of feeling like I'm lovable as I am, even though it doesn't, it doesn't fit a mold or a binary. And what she also taught me, because there were, there were a, lot of, a lot of things going on in my family when I was young, quite a very chaotic home, some violence and a lot of drug addiction issues with my brother. Um, and then eventually he's actually currently incarcerated. And what I learned through that process in some ways was watching my mom also love her other child unconditionally, very different reasons. <laughs> but, you know, the number of times she would say to me, he's not an addict. He is who he is. And he has some challenges around addiction. So always separating the behavior from the human being behind it. And that made a lasting impression on me. So there's been, I can't even count a time in my life where I've been confronted by someone's views or their opinions that maybe are very different than mine, maybe even very upsetting to take in, but where I couldn't access some compassion in my heart, some curiosity about why, and to be able to find a way to connect with them as best I can. And the other thing is just that I just really like people but I seem to attract amazing people. So it's really easy to like them. <laughs> like Rick and Lisa, like you are, I think two of the coolest, most interesting people that I know. And there's something about, I think when you uh, lead with this feeling of like, I'll, I'm going to just lead with feeling like I'm going to trust you, which is high risk behavior, I'll say. But I feel like if I lead with that, it seems like, I attract people that I can trust and who trust me. But I don't know. I'll ask you two because you're in my group and you apparently seem to trust me. And Rick even is working with me at Codebreakers. So what you tell me. I would say I trust you. One, because of the integrity and consistency in which I've seen you bring to yourself and your work and that goes all the way back from times that I've seen you take step backs in terms of owning the privileges that you do have and in certain opportunities and saying, oh, I need, I recognize that there is a need for other people from different backgrounds to step into leadership. And so you've made space for that to happen. I have seen the way that you like we said, put people first. And even though, yes, there is a business and work to attend to, it's also understanding that people are complex human beings with feelings and desires and needs and crazy things happen in life. And sometimes it does make sense to not care so much about the work and make sure that the people are taken care of. And I think seeing you do that and doing it repeatedly and consistently, we'll say, using one of the facets of trust that Lisa and I have developed, that consistency and caring, I think, really helps people trust you. And that's why I trust you. Thank you, Rick. I really appreciate that. As somebody who's been living a very solitary life over the last year, 
I don't get a lot of feedback. So I realized I just asked you for some <laughs> feedback and that it was, it was very helpful to regulating my own nervous system and uh, appreciate that. Thank you. I just want to add in if I can share some feedback, just generally from having the chance to work with you. You are one of the most thoughtful people. I think you're probably the most thoughtful person I know, Rebecca. And the way that you show up in a place like the care that you have and the respect and dignity that you give to everybody in that room, you can feel it right from the first interaction that you have. And you think about the people, you think about the context and how those are both evolving. And I always get the sense is that you, I always trust that you have my back and things, but everyone that you work with, I think feels that as well. And knowing that we're all on the same team, we're all on the same goal. How can I help you get there? And sometimes that means being really direct in that, but it's coming from such this place of care and alignment for the mission that we're doing. And you're always checking in to ensure we're all aligned and we're clear and how people are feeling so that they can show up as their best selves in that space. It's I, any chance I get to work with you. I love it because I know I'm going to get to learn and grow so much, but you get a, almost like a high from the collaboration experience of it because it's a space where I feel people get to show up as their full selves, but really get that additive, that generative effect of seeing other people at their best as well and getting to, to collaborate and build and co-create something together around that. Wow. Thank you, Lisa. My heart is, feels like a capacious well of tenderness right now. You are so lovely. I will be on your podcast anytime. <laughs> Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. And, and kind of going on, we've already started talking about the trust that you built with the team. And I would like to open that up a little bit more, Rebecca. And the work that's going on that we're doing at Codebreakers really requires the buy-in and enrollment of a constellation of people from whoever's paying for the support to the youth themselves who need to trust the Codebreakers bench and also the community as a space that they would want to be a part of. And I would love to know how you think about building trust when you have a big mix of different stakeholders. Great question. I'm trying to figure that out every day. For me, I'm a big fan of, you know, the company that I worked to start many years ago, not many, but several called Prosper City was really built around transparency. So it was a company that was working on pay equity and we were trying to close the gender wage gap as our mission. And, uh, but really from the cornerstone of pay transparency. So the more we can be truthful, which is a, I find a, a word that people are much less allergic to than transparency. The, you know, the more we can be truthful and genuine and authentic about who we are, what we have to offer in our communication, like the likely, the higher likely of greater equality and greater equity existing for all people. And so, you know, the only thing I know to do at this point is just to say what's true. So like, for instance, uh, you know, the Codebreakers business model right now, I think is highly likely to fail. The work though is so, it's so right. It's my heart's work, it's my life's work, but I think it's a lot of people's life's work. And so I think this is also the work to do in our society right now. So I'm certain about the work and I don't know about the business model, but if the work's right, like we will just keep adjusting the business model until it, they work together. So my, 
method, and maybe this just comes from literally being locked up by myself for the last year, is to talk about it out loud as we build it. So there's kind of this a trendy uh, approach to building startups now called like building in public, but I'm building in community or we're building in community. So for me, it's about building, we're going to build this, we're going to talk about it publicly, and we're going to involve and engage the community in building it with us. So that's my, that's my thought is let's just talk about it out loud and get feedback. So as you know, we are in a monthly meeting with our Codebreakers bench and we're stirring and stewing over like, should we do it like this? Should we be leading with this um, option or that option? And what were Codebreakers? What does that mean? Like, are we mentors? Are we coaches? <laughs> are we advocates? Are we allies? Like, who are we even? And, you know, I'm like, let's get out of our own little container. Let's get out of our own heads and like, let's put some of this out there. Let's talk to the people in our community. Let's talk to the people who might want to invest in us. Let's talk to the um, parents and the families about it. Like, let's have them figure it out with us. And that to me, I hope will equal enrollment and investment and participation. It might not, but I think, I think it will. I think it's pretty highly likely. I think so too. And I think again, just going back to that integrity piece, it's so aligned with who you are. I think the vision, the approach, the change that you're making with co-breakers as well. Instead of like, here, this is for you is, Hey, let's do this form with you and bring people along for that journey and that transformation. I love to invite you just to take a step back for a second, because you are a serial entrepreneur in the social impact space. You've had a lot of really interesting and really meaningful projects along the way. And I'm curious, what might be some of the lessons or patterns that you've noticed when it comes to trust building or even trust restoring across some of your different ventures that you're taking forward with you with Codebreakers? Well, that's a great question too. Y'all just keep asking great questions. I, you know, it's also a hard question to answer, although maybe it's not. It just really comes back to, for me, the fundamental place for to build trust is, I, for me, is who I'm working with, so who I'm building something with. And then as we begin inviting people into what we're building, whether they be supporters or, you know, uh, investors or, or our customers or our clients, like then, then we have to focus on building trust with, with those folks. But we do it by modeling it. On some level, I say we do it without even thinking about it. Like I can't start a company without this being in place first. So in my prior career as a nonprofit manager and consultant, that was about a 20-year journey in that, in that space. And I worked with dozens, if not hundreds of organizations all over the world. And what I really noticed in so many different spaces with so many different organizations who are in such different stages of growth, that nine out of 10 times talking about culture, tending to culture, stewarding culture, like even understanding the culture that you want in an organization, that those questions always come up much later when you realize something's gone wrong or somebody finally raises their hand and says, this is not okay with me. And then the effort that it takes then to go back and basically unwind and then reweave your company's culture is extremely expensive it's extremely time consuming and it's incredibly complicated because you have so many people who have already been harmed. And so for me, 
my greatest learning, which I think is my instinct anyway, but is to, because I've sometimes been that person who has felt harmed in a culture that is really not congruent with who they say, the people who say they are, what the work that we're doing, that like looking at the very beginning of when we're starting something, looking at what we're creating, how we're communing, communicating with one another. For us at Codebreakers, like representation is like a way we practice and embody trust, right? So it won't work for us to have a bunch of white people, right? All like our whole team's white. And then, and then we're trying to serve the youth who have been through radically different experiences than we are and look and sound and feel just much different. So for me, representation, it's certainly when we talk about social services and, and tending to our community, like it's a critical way to create trust. So talking about culture and assuring that we have representation um, and then just honestly being, you know, before, before that we started recording today, this podcast, you know, I basically was like, I'm nervous. Uh, I, uh, I feel like I love talking about these things and I want to be talking about things related to, to race and diversity and inclusion and belonging, but I make mistakes all the time. And uh, so I'm nervous. Um, and what I realize is just that we have to, it's okay to be nervous. It's okay to make mistakes because that's an opportunity to repair. And I learn more things about myself and other people in the process of repair and rebuilding trust, frankly, than I do in almost any other area of my life. The only thing I'll say though, is that I think that the reason a lot of companies, especially startups don't focus on like culture and diversity and inclusion and belonging like these things as actions versus ideas, that the reason we don't focus on them early on is because in some ways they're expensive, right? Because they take time away from doing the work, like the work. But that assumes that you think the work is separate from your culture. And I don't think they're separate. And so to me, if we can't get this organization off the ground from a financial place and do the work, without also tending to a culture and who we are and how we be and show up for one another, then it's not worth it to me to build it at all. So it's got to be a both and a yes and whatever you want to call it. It has to be both or, or for me, it's going to be nothing. I think that approach of it being both and or, or nothing really just speaks to the integrity that I think Lisa and I have both spoken about that we see in you, Rebecca. And I would assert that for a lot of leaders, integrity is really hard because it requires you to trust in yourself and draw a line in the sand and make hard boundaries about what things you're going to accept, what things you aren't, what things you want to build. And you have to get very clear around those. And I think that's difficult to be able to say, this is an all or nothing situation and that's okay. And I would love to know how you have developed that trust in yourself throughout your career. <laughs> have I developed that trust? It is the talk about a journey, a work in progress. I'm <laughs> yeah. Therapy that's been helpful. Um, and spending time with people that I trust so there's something to me very powerful about choosing the people that you spend time with very carefully, because I think what is necessary then is to know these people well enough to be able to 
trust yourself to trust them and then to like feel that being reciprocated. So I don't feel like I have like learned trust inside myself by myself. It's a relationship experience for me and it's the most delicate and also so the most perfect um, experience of relationship trust to me for when I, when I get to spend time with younger people. They're generally, not always, but sometimes a little bit more trusting, especially when they're little. So it's just allowing on a daily basis for me to feel like I trust others. They trust me. I trust myself. What is there to do next from that place? So, but I don't know, you know, I'm sure it's, it's a, (laughs) who completely trusts themselves? It's like an ever evolving experience of, am I every day, am I doing something that feels congruent with who I am? Or am I doing something that feels like a should, a would, or a could? Because every time I do something that somebody else told me, society, whatever, that I should be doing those things is the instantaneous moment where I lose trust with myself again. My job as a human, I think, is to take that in from society and from people, from some of my family members, about how I should be leading my life, about how I should be making decisions, and to let those roll on by me. So one of the most important ways that I'm learning to trust myself is to not live, you know, basically my mom used to actually say this, like, she's like, stop shooting on yourself. <laughs> so I'm like, right? So I'm trying to stop that. No more shoulds, woulds, and coulds. Really just doing what feels like I can, I will, I want to. Like I take these things seriously and I try, I mean, I I hate the word try, but I like, I do, I practice every day saying yes to the things that I know are things I can do with what I have. So my commitment to myself, the way, the days that I trust myself most are when I know that I'm doing what I can with I have with what I have versus trying to do something that someone else did with things that I don't have. So doing what I can with what I have every day, best I can. I think that's such a great way to put a practical lens on that integrity piece that we keep calling back in on this. Rick and I talk a lot about words that we use, but what do they really mean? whether it's loyalty we were talking about the other day, integrity, the word trust, all these authenticity that we put out there. But I love how you just frame that, you know, doing what I can with what I have the best I can every day, I think is a beautiful, beautiful way to look at integrity. So thank you for sharing that with us. It also, yeah, it also equals equity to me. Like to me, that is like, we keep expecting in the early days, you know, I was actually worked with Tony Robbins for a little while. And I, this idea that if you just do exactly what this other successful person's doing, you then will be successful. And I think that is just, it's bull, you know, it's that. It's not true. <laughs> like we're all coming from different backgrounds, different places. Um, we've had much different experiences between us. So I think the idea like true equity is like making space for people to do what they can with what they have. and. Like, that's it. So eventually, it was really just kind of another big awareness this year that it would be really kind if I would also give that gift to myself of doing what I can with what I have. I love that. Thank you. And I want to, can I push you a little bit further on that, if I may? And and not from a place of shoulda, woulda, coulda to other leaders or being like, here's the playbook or here's the way of doing it. But I, 
that piece about making space for others to do what they can, what would you offer to other leaders who are trying to do that and they don't know where to start? Well, what we're talking to the young people who I believe are leaders already in, in the ways that they're showing up in life every day um, as who they are is to just be you. Like to me, that's, that's the, like the crux of leadership in my opinion, as a human being is to show up as the most genuine version of yourself. But it's also like an idea, right? It's like, oh yeah, easier said than done. And I get that. So my, I guess, other practical step would be that, uh, or suggestion, but again, this is just, these are the things that work for me. And I appreciate that they're not the same for other folks. So is to, you know, constantly be experimenting and not just with your ideas, but with the people who are in your life, with conversations, with all the, like, just to kind of see life as an experiment. It is kind of all made up potentially. And so why not just keep experimenting and seeing what works and not get yourself so tied into it has to be this way, right? Because we honestly have no idea what's going to happen in the future. Like none. We don't know. Somebody might know. I don't know. So why not see by experimenting and trying new things? It's certainly something that keeps me interested in being alive is being able to experiment. And um, the other thing though, for me is just that community. And I mean that in a very intimate way, when I say that community and the people that I have in my life are everything to me. And I truly believe that I love that, that idea that we're like the average of the five people that we keep around us, which I think makes me high, very above average because I have some phenomenal people like yourselves around me a lot is to just, you know, we need, I think the way we stay sort of sane in the world, the way I keep my nervous system regulated, you know, you can't like self-regulate unless you are co-regulating and having that experience. So like, for me, co-regulating looks like being able to be in a room or a Zoom room with someone that I love, who I believe loves me, and to be able to connect with them. And so that gets me into a place of where I feel grounded and I feel loved, which I think we should never take for granted. Um, and I'm having an experience of love in my body. And from that place, all forms of leadership are possible, in my opinion. I love that. I think there's so much power in acting out of love as opposed to fear as Jade Waterman shared with us in one of our past episodes. And this has been wonderful. I mean, I, I'm always very grateful because I get to hang out with you, Rebecca, through Codebreakers. And now I get to hang out with you through Spotlight Trust. And I would love to know what is coming up for you like in my heart or in my work <laughs> we'll let you make the call I mean love is coming up for me right now I mean seriously the last leadership team meeting we had for code breakers there was eight of us in a room and uh, a zoom room and I felt so so good at the end of that call so connected to everyone and in our Zoom room, even our, our little squares across the country. And, you know, I actually blurted out, I love you 
at the end of that meeting. And I was like, oh gosh, uh, totally scanning the room to see if I had just crossed the line from being, you know, gracefully vulnerable to absolutely ridiculous. But it's just true. And I don't want to be afraid of loving other people anymore and letting them know. So what's coming up for me right now is a whole lot of love. I really appreciate both of you so much. I feel lucky to be on this planet knowing you. This has been a hard year, I think, for me and for a lot of people. In some ways, there's been the last few decades in some ways have been hard and challenging for me, as I know they have been for a lot of people also. Um, but the thing that keeps bringing me back to a place of feeling okay, of feeling like I belong somewhere, of feeling it's worth it to keep going are my connections and the feeling just honest to goodness, genuine feeling of love that I feel for the people who I'm, who are in my life like you. I'm full of love right now in my heart. And that's, I think you've described so well, the feeling that I've, what I was trying to articulate earlier about why I love working with you. And it's that, that feeling that runs through, my whole body is that it's this love for the people that I'm with. And that brings about a love in the work. And that's, that enables me, that equips me to do my best work when I'm in those kind of environments that you're looking to create for young people, which is really our future. And that gives me so much hope in the work that you're doing. So I just, I want to say, I'm going to cross the line and say, I love you, Rebecca. And thank you for the work that you do. Yes. <laughs> and I'll say, I love you too, Rebecca. So I'll throw it out there. All right. Podcast, podcast mission accomplished in my, <laughs> in my book. <laughs> this is the best. This is seriously one of the best hours I've had this week. Thank you. Thank you. And we, we do want to know for everyone who is listening to our love fest here, <laughs> what's coming up with Codebreakers? Well, in some ways, we've just kind of softly launched. So there's a lot more to do with Codebreakers. And we're um, looking for families who are interested in working with us and young people. So ages 13 to 23, we're doing one-on-one -on -one virtual sessions with folks. So you can kind of choose one of the adult code breakers on our bench and spend some time with that person. And then also we have a peer support community. So we're also opening this you know, vibrant online space for all of the young people we serve to then hang out with each other in a peer support community. So super excited about that piece too. And then we're also looking, my goal for the year, one of many, but uh, one of my primary goals for the year is that we amass a fund essentially so that we could serve a hundred young people who don't have access or who don't have the financial resources to access our services that we can still serve them and still ensure that the adult code breakers, the folks on our bench, the people like me, the people like you, um, and the other folks on our team are also compensated, right? Because we're basically grown up versions of these young people we're trying to serve. So they're dealing with a lot of barriers around their identities as young people. We are still probably dealing with a lot of those, not probably, we definitely are still dealing with a lot of those barriers as adults. So as important as it is for me to have provide the young people access to our services, it's equally important to me that every member on our team is compensated fairly and can actually make a living doing what I think is some of the most important work we can do in our society, which is help bring up this next generation. I'm here for them. I'm here for the 
not just the improving, but the dismantling and starting again. I want to really support that and really connect with these young people because I think that's what they need to build resilience. So that's what's up for next for Codebreakers. That is phenomenal. And I want to make sure we'll include this in the show notes as well, but I would love if you can just share where can people go to find out more about Codebreakers and how they might support Codebreakers as well. Yes. So we have a website, which is codebreakerscommunity.com. So um, codebreakerscommunity.com. And we are also have a community business page on LinkedIn. And I am, you know, working slowly as the, on the days I have a, you know, an extra dose of confidence to post some honest, you know, where are we at? How are we building this? Can you, can you help us out community, figure these things out, posting on LinkedIn. So that's kind of where we're telling the story of building Codebreakers. Um, and we actually aren't, we don't have a presence on any other social media that that's coming directly from Codebreakers. And that was just a really deliberate choice because I feel like in a lot of these social media channels is where we do the most code switching and the most hiding or feel the most concerned about how people are judging our identities. And so I, it feels like such a a space of great conflict for the work we're actually trying to do, which is to build human interpersonal connections around identity and to feel confident in being your whole self in the world. So we've made a pretty deliberate choice. It might be another reason that our business model fails, but again, it's critically important to me that we that we show up in all the spaces in society as the truest form of ourselves as a company too. So LinkedIn is where we're telling the story. And our website is where you can book a free hello, actually. Anybody, any partner, any parent, any young person who wants to just spend 30 minutes with me and talk about what we're doing at Codebreakers and how they might get involved, that call is at no charge. There's free time with me and free love with me also. I don't know how anyone can turn that generous offer down. Thank you so much for joining us today, Rebecca. It's my pleasure. I feel really honored to be here with you and grateful. And thank you. Thanks for being a part of my community. And that's a wrap for this episode of In Trust. Thanks for listening. Remember that trust is better together. So if you enjoyed this conversation, please share it with someone who you think might appreciate it and leave us a review. The In Trust podcast is produced by Spotlight Trust where we help leaders and organizations put trust at the center of their work so they can achieve more than they ever thought possible while adapting to our fast-changing world. If you'd like to get in touch with us, simply email podcast at spotlighttrust.com. And now, a quick word from our sponsors. There's a lot of uncertainty about the future, but one thing we are sure about is that the future is trust which also happens to be the title of our new book. The Future is Trust, Embracing the Era of Trust-Centered Leadership is being released later this spring. We are so excited to bring this reimagination of what a leadership book can be. So stay up to date on book launch details, special previews, exclusive pre-order specials, and more by visiting thefutureistrust.com.